Hello and welcome back to Walton Biz Talk. I'm your host, Savannah Rubino, and I'm with my co-host, Gracie. Hello. And we have a special episode this Halloween, or this October. It's not going to be Halloween yet when this airs, but I do want to provide a quick trigger warning because this does, this episode does entail um, some graphic imagery Mm -hmm. and talks about death. So if that is something that makes you uncomfortable in any way, shape, or form, then we appreciate you, but we also don't want to um, make you uncomfortable. So feel free to join in and listen on the next one. It'll still be spooky, um, just maybe not quite as graphic. But for those who do want to stay, I'm really excited because we talked to Kara Collins and Yes Collins, um, which is the same last name as the Twilight movies for Edward Cullen and the Cullen family. So I just want to make draw that line right now. <laughs> they need to know. They, they need, need to know to the know. connection. Especially just a week before, um, I believe we are having Twilight movie trivia at Puritan. <gasps> Just to throw that out there. Really? In a few weeks. Yeah. Did you, sorry, not to get us off on a tangent, but when did that, when did those books come out? Because they came out while I was oh, in high man. school. Oh, man. I did, I honestly thought it was a trilogy, but I guess there's like six of them or five of them or lot. something. And it would have came out, I feel like it's an, it's an early 2000s thing. Yeah, I think it came out, I remember going to see the films when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. So did you, wait, have you read the books? No. Oh, that's okay. You don't need to. <laughs> no. Which, just Google the trivia. It's fine. Yeah. But I have seen enough memes, I feel like, to get a good gist. And I've seen, like, Breaking Dawn. So I feel That's like, really all you need. Right. But to get back to our topic, I am just so excited to learn about the mortician career because unlike a lot of the other episodes that we've been doing, I think this one is very specialized and unique. Um, and I don't like that it gets maybe a bad rap where people think that morticians are just creepy old men and locking themselves in a basement, Mm -hmm. working on dead bodies. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to hear, especially from a woman and forget women in STEM. Let's talk about women in mortuary services. Services. Yes. Yes. Put that on a t-shirt. Well, if you guys would like to give this a listen, remember we are talking about some very specific triggers. So um, if any of that makes you uncomfortable, just feel free to join us in another episode. But with that, I give to you our Halloween episode featuring Kara Collins, a former mortician. Welcome back, listeners. My name is Savannah Rubino, and I'm with my co-host, Gracie. And we have a very special guest today for one of our fall episodes. I am very thrilled to present to you Kara Collins. Yes, like the Twilight name. Yes. (laughs) Um, I am really excited for this episode because Kara used to be a mortician, and it's a very specialized different field, but I will let you, if you'd like to say a little blurb about yourself and maybe how you got into um, being a mortician as a career path. 
Sure, sure. Hi, I'm Kara. I live in Fayetteville. Um, I'm born and raised in this area, so very familiar. This is where I got my start in the funeral business. Um, I knew since I was a little girl, it's what I would do. My friends will tell you when we were in fourth grade that I said that that's what I was going to do. Um, my family is not in the business. That's always the first question I received is, was it a family business? But it was not. And um, I did it right after I did my freshman year of college at the U of A, and then I went on to Mortuary School in Dallas and did it for about 10 years. So that's so awesome. Well, first, love that you're a Fayetteville native. I'm from Bentonville, so love to see the hometown rep. But uh, we were talking just before this, before we started recording, that you like to keep all your licenses. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what the training and the studies looked like that you went through to become a mortician? Sure. Um, there are two separate licenses in the state of Arkansas. Each state is different for their requirements. So you can be a funeral director and not be an embalmer. You can hold separate licenses. But I was told when I was going to school and first starting my apprenticeship that if I wanted to be hired, especially at the smaller firms, like the privately owned firms, that you should be an embalmer too, because it just made you that much more useful. You could be on night call and you could work independently and not have to wait on somebody else to, you know, do the embalming. So um, when I went to school in the, in the 90s, there weren't any mortuary schools in the state of Arkansas. There are a couple of programs through U of A Community College, like BB, Mountain Home, I think Texarkana. I went to school in Dallas to the Dallas Institute of Funeral Services. So um, at that time, they offered um, like a year-long program, and then you could do an associate degree, which was not required. From what I know now, I think they just do an associate degree. Um, it's about 18 months long. And then you come out with the associate degree. And then depending on your state, you have to do an apprenticeship, which is usually a year long. But they're completely separate licenses. But like I said, if you get one license, you might as well get the other. And, and you know, that way you can practice fully in a firm. So it's, it's an associate's degree and then an apprenticeship that lasts for a year. Yes, and you can start your apprenticeship before you go to a mortuary school. I was really lucky. A local firm that were friends of the family let me start my apprenticeship that summer before I went to mortuary school. So I had about three months. I had, you have to do the apprenticeship for funeral directing. If you don't go to mortuary school is like two years long and you have to do, I think, 100 funerals. Think off the top of my head, I had to do 50. And then because I went to mortuary school and you can do your embalming apprenticeship at the same time you do your funeral directing apprenticeship. You just have to fill out the different case forms. And I'm sure it's all computerized now, but back then it was a lot of handwritten <laughs> case forms and, and sending it into the state board in, in Little Rock. So I got about three months done before I went to mortuary school and I completed it um, after I got out of mortuary school at that time. What kind of classes are involved in the associate's degree? Like, what kind of classes do you take? I mean, you do take like a few basic classes like chemistry. Um, and our chemistry at the time was taught by the head of dentistry program in Dallas at Baylor. So, I mean, Dr. Barry was like crazy smart, but he was also a licensed um I think he was a licensed embalmer because he had been like, he had seen some really crazy things. Um, we did chemistry. We did, um, there was a psychology class that you took, but then there were the specialized classes like restorative art. We took embalming, embalming labs, funeral um, merchandising, 
um, a religion class um, and a ritual class. I mean, because you never know what um, kind of you know service you're going to do, and so you had to be prepared to. I've seen Buddhism, Hinduism. Um, we did a lot of Jewish services, Catholic. I mean, just the gamut. So they tried to expose you to everything, even if you were going back to small town Arkansas and you were never going to see it. But I worked in Dallas while I was in mortuary school at like the third largest funeral home and cemetery in the nation at the time. And so I got to see a lot of really cool, like the Buddhist monks would come in and help prepare. I mean, so things that you would never see usually in some areas. So really specialized classes um, that don't transfer back if you go back to the U of A. <laughs> And that's something that really surprised me when I was researching this field is because I didn't realize how many hats you guys can really wear working at a funeral service home. So you guys, I mean, obviously there's the embalming and then there's the funeral director that you were talking about, the actual service, and then there's preparing the funeral arrangements. And there's kind of like this back and forth with the families, a little bit of grief support. So I also saw something about removal services, which I'm not sure if you ever did that as well, but basically being on call to collect a body whenever yep. it's. So that's yeah. something that really surprised me as well. And I guess, I don't know if you had a favorite, but was there a role that you liked the best when you were there? Um, I mean, you, like you said, you did it all. And I was um, in management by the time I was probably 22 or 23, I was managing a firm. And then by the time I left, I was a general manager of a funeral home and a cemetery, um, a combination unit. So you do everything. Of course, in the larger firms, like when I was working in Little Rock and Central Arkansas, those areas, we had crews on all night, right? I mean, the prep room was open and there was a removal crew all night. But when you work in smaller firms, especially like in the, like the more rural areas, um, when that phone rings in the middle of the night, that's you getting up and going and getting. So we went to people's homes, we went to hospitals, we went to nursing homes, we would meet people, you know, if it's a large hospital or if they had a morgue, like we were, we were the removal service. Um, and there are specialized services that just do that for funeral homes, like especially in central Arkansas, there's a mortuary service. All they do is removals and embalming, and then they send them out to the funeral home because some funeral homes because of the regulations, like with OSHA and so many other things, they may not have a working prep room just because of the cost might be prohibited. So, so. it's like, since you have so many like things that you're doing, did you have normal, like, I, I, you probably may not have worked nine to five, but was there like something that a regular day looked like, or was it just kind mm -hmm. of, it just depended? really just depended and it, again the size of the firm you know if it were slow and you were an, in a corporate firm you might go home that afternoon especially if you're going to be on call that night when I worked in larger firms um sometimes there would be two week stretches you're you know we did have to have normal office hours and business hours right um but we're there if you're if you had visitations going until 9 p.m. or then you're on call after that. So sometimes there'd be two week stretches. You're working 14 days and you're working minimum 13 hour days. I mean, kind of exhausting, <laughs> you, you know, you're like, Whew, time for a day off. Right. And one thing I saw as well is um, I was looking up on I don't know why I'm really big on Reddit. So I think I've said this in every single one of our episodes. But one thing that people um, someone said 
it was like one of those ask me anything for threads, mm-hmm. ask a mortician. And one of the things that the person had said is that people don't realize how physically demanding the mm-hmm. job is as well. So you have the mental exhaustion, the emotional exhaustion, and then you're physically picking up moving bodies always on your feet that sort of thing so how did you learn to cope with those sorts of challenges and be able to separate that from when you come home were you able to find a way like to disconnect from that sometimes um it just depended and I never answered your question my favorite part probably was meeting with the families and making the arrangements Mm-hmm. Um, because it's the relationships that you would form and it is truly a service industry. I mean, yes, it's a big business, but it's also a service industry. So you're there to get people through a time. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't make it better, but I could handle a lot of it so that they wouldn't have to worry some of, about some of the things and um, kind of run interference in the background to make sure things went smoothly so that they wouldn't have to do that. Um, as far as a way to deal with it, there is a lot of drinking. There's a lot of substance abuse. I mean, there just is just because it's, it's a stressful job. And like you said, the grief, um, the physical stress, the mental stress, um, my husband always knew when I had a bad day, or if it was a really long stretch, I would walk in the house and you don't want to unload on your partner about some of the horrific things that you've seen or heard, or, you know, been privy. I would go in there and just like start baking a cake wouldn't say anything just start baking a cake and he'd be like duly noted I know she needs some time because there's some days when you you know especially in larger firms if you're making arrangements all day I could meet probably with four or five families back to back and just it's a lot of talking and you're on all the time and it's a lot of details and keeping things straight and I just couldn't people anymore sometimes after you know after a long day you just couldn't because you're the one, you're the point person. You're the one that's answering all the questions. You're the one making all the arrangements, contacting the cemeteries and the casket company and the burial vault company and the ministers and the florist. I mean, so there's a lot of working pieces that you, you just needed your time away. Time off was probably the best thing. Um, I wish I'd known exercise, but after being physically exhausted, that's, you know, it's the last thing you wanted to do was go, so. I think like that your comment about just building relationships and that being the first part, like that's probably, or at least I I feel like that could be a misconception about the job Mm -hmm. is that it's kind of an isolating thing or Mm -hmm. it's someone working alone in a dark room. Yeah. I feel like there were any other like major misconceptions about like what you did and the services you provided and what kind of demands it made of you. Right. You know, I think people sometimes funeral, uh, a funeral director or an embalmer, like a used car salesman almost, you know, that, that negative connotation that we're just trying to upsell and make all the money and, um, or that they're just weird people in the back room, that, you know, <laughs> never see the light of day. Um, and it's really not that, I mean, you have to have a personality and you have to be really service and people oriented. I mean, because people come in and, um, they're going to hug you and they're going to need support and they're going to cry on you and they're going to, you know, things that you would never think of. But I, I think that was a lot of the misconception or that we're always trying to upsell or always trying to, it's not at all what it was about. It was about forming the relationships and truly, you know, being a service. It's, you have to have like almost a servant's heart to be able to do it. 
And so since this is our October episode uh-huh. and you do have, you did have a kind of, like we said, specialized, I don't want to say super unusual. Um, oh, it is. It's okay. <laughs> You're not going to offend me. No one offends me. I, like I said, I'd rather have people ask the questions than, than not. <laughs> right. Well, we would love to hear if you can um, share any unusual experiences you might've had on the job, or maybe some things that surprised you while being on the job. Um, I don't know. I mean, you see everything you see. Um, so I do not have an, have an ick factor. That's what we always say with my friend group. I don't have one. Um, I just don't. The only thing that ever bothered me in all of my career, I hate compound fractures. Um, are you familiar with what those are? What are well, those? I was going to say, what is, sorry, could you explain what a compound fracture is? It's when the bone is broken so severely, it comes out the skin. Like, Ooh. you know, um, those always kind of freaked me out because they look like they hurt really bad. Obviously they do. <laughs> I can't even imagine those, those kind of things kind of like that would kind of give me the creeps, but you know, you'd be at the funeral home two, three in the morning by yourself sometimes and bombing a body and you better not be real skittish or, you know, um, like I said, and in, in some of the notes that we were looking at before, there are misconceptions. People do not set up, never seen it, never will see it. No, it's physiologically impossible after somebody has passed away um, that they would set up. I think maybe where that terminology came in or the misconception is as embalmers, we talk about somebody setting up. We mean their skin is firming up that as we are running our embalming fluid through them, it reacts with the proteins and it kind of firms the skin. You can see the color change. You can feel the front. And so when we would say somebody set up nicely, we're meaning that they're taking the fluid and that the process is working. You know, we didn't mean that they physically sat up ever. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, you know, uh, we, you would move somebody like from the removal clot that when you went and got them at the hospital or the nursing home or whatever, and you're pulling, sliding them onto the embalming table, mouths are normally open. I mean, your mouth is open when you pass away, usually, and your eyes are open. Um, so sometimes, you know, people say that um, bodies might make noise. It's called like a death rattle. It, it might be air escaping the lungs. They're not breathing. They're not talking. But, you know, there might be a noise or two. Um, that'd be about it. Um, I've seen every kind of accident, freak accident that you can imagine, like, and things you probably couldn't imagine. Mm-hmm. I would like to hear, I see this TikTok trend going around uh-huh. and it's someone who's in a specialized field and it's like three things I wouldn't do as a, oh. an emergency doctor. Do you have any <laughs> um, contributions to maybe this TikTok I trend? I do. And I don't, I don't have TikTok. I'm old, right? <laughs> I know, I know what it is. I don't have it, but I do have social media. So anytime there's an ice storm, I always make a post from your former friendly funeral director and bomber. If your car slides off of the highway because of ice, do not stand next to your car where it slid off because the next car that hits that same patch of ice is going to hit it and then usually come and kill you. I've seen that happen. You know, if you have car trouble, do not pull off onto the side of an interstate, make it to an exit, bend a rim, bust a tire, you know, or pull off so far off into the grass because, you know, freak accidents, mm-hmm. people pulled over for um, car trouble, flat tire or something, man driving by had a heart attack, mm-hmm. veered, hit the car, 
killed some members of a family. Um, what else? There's probably it's another. Car related. Huh? It's all car related. Huh? Oh, and don't ever, like, keep guns locked up. If you own firearms, keep them unloaded and lock them, you know, because people get a hold of guns or, you know, I, I mean, like I said, I've seen about every kind of freak accident that, that you can imagine. Yeah, work, don't and leave like if you work on cars, leave it to the professionals. I've seen people crushed by cars that were working on them at their house and it slipped off and, you know, crushed a chest. And I mean, just stuff that you would be like, oh, well, now I know I'm not going to ever do that again <laughs> or do that. Mm-hmm. It's very fun destination. Have you ever seen those movies? I've heard of them. I've seen it is. And it's it's truly what it is like those people walked out their door that morning. They had no idea. You know, they thought they were going to walk back in their door that day. And so um, just accidents, you know, freak accidents. So I think that also made me more conscientious when it came to my family. You know, if we were leaving for the day, I love you. Have a good, you know, that, you know, I'm still human. We mess up and I, I might leave mad or, you know, yell as I walk out the door. But, you know, trying to make sure that they know how much you love them and because you you truly never know. And I'm glad you brought up that that kind of shaped some of your interactions outside of work, because one of the things I was curious about was when you would tell people about your work and what you did, how did that, how did people react? Well, when I was single and I would go out, it was the best thing in the world if I wanted to be left alone. (laughs) It's what I would lead with. Hi, I'm an embalmer. Wouldn't even shake your hand. And it's like, Man, I wear gloves and I wash my hands. Do you think I just came straight from the prep? I didn't, you know. I love that. I think next time I'm out, I'm going to take one from oh, your yeah. and use that myself. Perfect. It was perfect, except, you know, my husband was not phased by it. Um, he, he obviously didn't know what he was signing up for. But um, most people, when I started in the, you know, in the early to mid 90s, there weren't a lot of women. There's still not a whole lot of women. It's real male dominant. Um, I was the freak of it, right? Like if we had to go to other firms out of town to, you know, pick up a person or, you know, take them a person, they would be, I mean, their mouths would drop and they'd be like, come here, I, I have to show you off. And they would, they would walk me through the funeral home and show me to look, it's, it, it's a girl. And I'd be like, yeah, that, that means nothing. Like, uh, you know, so it was just crazy. Some of the reactions you would get. Um, some people thought it was really cool. Some people, I think are interested in it for the wrong reasons because they think it's so dark and you know weird and almost devious like I've had some kids at the high school who have been really interested in it but I don't know if they're interested in if they truly know what it is that it's truly a service and a lot of hard work it's not just being in a prep room and we're not dealing with crime scenes we're not dealing I mean we dealt with the medical examiner but we didn't do autopsies. We did a lot of sewing after the autopsies, you know, I mean, so I think there's a lot of those misconceptions, but it was great if you didn't want to be bothered by people. (laughs) No, I, I'm glad you brought up also the part about women not being super um, prominent in the field, because that's something that I found in my research as well. And I want to know why is that? Because women, I think naturally are usually more empathetic. It seems Mm -hmm. like they would um 
that would be a more, you know, in the sense that people think that women can be um, nurses and that sort of thing. I don't want to like place any gender roles upon anyone, but it, it just really surprises me because I think women can be really good leaders that way. So why do you right. think that is? But I don't know if it was just because of the physicality of it, that, that it just normally went to, to males or that's why it was so male dominant or because they considered it, you know, years ago, the funeral homes used to run the ambulance services. So on some of the really old hearses, it would say funeral ambulance on it. So I don't know if that was part of it. Again, the physicality of lifting and taking people whether you're taking them to the funeral home or, you know, back in the day, well before my day, if you were taking them to the hospital. Um, but then it would seem to always pass to sons and families, like the families I knew that yeah, had. Yeah, that it's had, very, um, I don't want to say like cliquish, but it has a. It, it really does. And the women could work in the office, right? And sometimes they might work a service, but the women funeral directors were, you know, fewer and far between. I was really lucky. I worked for when I started working in Dallas, when I was a student, I started, well, first off, I was really lucky to work here in um, Northwest Arkansas in the time, um, but I was also really lucky in Dallas. And there was another gentleman I worked for in Arkansas, um, but in Dallas, I worked for a large corporation, one of the funeral home corporations. And my manager there then came to manage the central Arkansas firms that that same company held. And he loved having women funeral directors because he understood that the families were a lot of times more comfortable, you know, or because like you said, women just seem more empathetic. And so he really put us in roles and let us, like he was all about hiring females and all about making us managers and general managers and things. And so he was really, really supportive of it. And um, I think when it was really growing in like the mid nineties, so I was, I was super lucky. I have, a, yeah, I have a lot of opinions about, about, yeah, it's probably a lot to do, and I'm just, like, guessing, but, like, appropriate gendered labor and, like, what kind of labor women do mm -hmm. when they make money off of it, because mm -hmm. right? I think we're, anyway, not to get, not to get too far into it, but that is a very interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, and then you had the, the, you know, it could, it could be really sexist at times, you know, and some of the things that were said to, you know, I went right back at them. You know, that, that is first off my personality. You can say what you want, but I'm going to say it right back to you. I mean, if you think I should be out there washing something in a bikini, why don't you put it on first? You know, I, I, I wasn't going to be treated that way. Um, but they also tried to like, see if they could freak you out, you know, or scare you. So I mean, did you experience some like um, people trying to weed you out of the industry is what you're saying? Well, I don't know if weed you out, but they were just going to see if you could, you know, because again, you saw things that most people can't even imagine, right? And so like uh, opening the crematory halfway through a cremation, hey, look, I'd be like, wow, you can see what's left of the brain and the muscle and they, you know, they close it back, you know, just to see if they could, you know, scare you. Or I was really lucky one time and got to sit in an autopsy, a private autopsy that a family had requested. It was the most fascinating thing in the world, but the pathologist was so condescending now, darling, here's a stool and I'm going to put it right back by the back door. So if you feel ill, you know, or you feel like you're going to faint, then you can go out the back. You need to get sick. And within two minutes, I had my nose up between them going, oh, what's that? That looks like a, a like, and he's like, well, that's the gallbladder. Ooh, what's that? You know, so it's, it's, 
them just, I, and I think it's a generational thing too. I think, you know, they were even older than I was and I was a, what they deemed at the time a young girl. Mm-hmm. And obviously I didn't know what I was getting into, but I did. So, and then I was their boss pretty quick. So. <laughs> and you seem so passionate about this role. I know you're not in it anymore, but if you would like to share, I would love to know how you decided that you were going to pursue a different career path instead. Um, once I, had, uh, I was spending more time taking care of other people's family than taking care of mom. And again, it's that gender role. It's not the expectation of, and this is not the expectation of my home. My husband has, is wonderful. And we have from day one split everything really equally as far as who takes care of our child. She's way old now, but you know, when she was little, but when I was missing holidays and I was missing things and I, there was a, another female that I worked with and we were busy and we were in management. And if you were busy, you were working, even if you were supposed to be off or if you were supposed to be on vacation. And so I watched her miss her daughter's first ever like dance recital because we had a big service. And I was like, you can't pay me enough money while she is little and while she, you know, with my family to, to miss that anymore. So I um, then went and worked for criminal defense attorney while I went back to school. So I got all kinds of other stories <laughs> before I went back to, you know, to do speech pathology. So, but I keep my licenses. Um, I may go back one of these days when I'm much older and, because I've missed the families. I miss serving the families. I don't miss the hours or the stress. So that was the main decision because my family was more important at the time. And are there any skills that you learned along the way of being a mortician or becoming a mortician that you find yourself using in your new role? Or like you said, you've um, had multiple other studies and areas of interest. Have you found yourself like reflecting back and thinking, okay, didn't think I would bring this skill along with me, but here I am and I'm better for it. Yeah. I think it's just communication more than anything. Right. I mean, it's, a, being a speech pathologist, that's what I do, right? But it's also the social skills and the communication skills um, and how to communicate to people and be the one to walks up to somebody else and, and, and starts it. You know, I'm not the, I'm kind of like the introvert, extrovert kind of person. Like I know when to put the roles on and that kind of thing. Um, I could, I'm trying to think what else I did um, or that I could bring to it. I'm really good at makeup because of it I do make it I wanted to ask about that so was were they kind of like I don't want to say you're guinea pigs but like what is there a specific process that you learn not to get super weird about the makeup that people wear during their funeral but is there something like in your classes did you learn okay this is the placement of the blush and like there's a science to it well you know it's not like traditional cosmetics Mm -hmm. but yes like and there were there are products just for mortuary like science kind of stuff like skin tints that we would use on people and um, the stuff we would use on the lips and things um, Mm -hmm. and how to bring that natural color back um, and the lighting and that kind of thing and shadows that kind of stuff but yeah but yeah I've always done I always have kind of done makeup but yeah I do makeup on the side too I do it for weddings proms senior photos all that kind of stuff so that kind of morphed into a side gig and special effects well you know and people be like well you 
I, I have a pimple. I can, I'm like, I can cover anything, man. Just bring it. Bruise, bring it. I don't care. We, we'll get I've it covered. <laughs> I've seen a lot worse. So, yeah. So I, awesome. I, I love that um, in MUA to mortician pipeline right there. <laughs> right. Or right. mortician to MUA pipeline. Right. Um, yeah. But we're going to close it out. We have one final question for you. This has sure. been an amazing interview, by the way. Um, you've been such a great guest. But I want to know, we talked about this is a very specialized role. It's not for everyone. What mm -hmm. would you advise people who are considering a career path in funeral services, what do you think is, what are the ideal characteristics for someone who may be successful in this field? Um, first off, they need to understand it's still pretty traditional, right? I, I worked in places um, that I couldn't even wear pants. Like I was, right, like that's, it, it was a generational thing. Like I wasn't supposed to be in pants. Now, when I worked for the big corporations, of course we, I mean, but you're in a suit every day. Like it's really traditional. Um, I have tattoos and stuff now. Um, no, no visible tattoos, no piercings, no hair color. I mean, and you had to be on every day. So you needed to understand that people have this certain kind of expectation, not just of how you um, conduct yourself, right? but that you um, look a certain way. I mean, you could be whatever size. I mean, I worked at firms that men couldn't have facial hair. You couldn't have a beard or a mustache because it was seen as unkempt, right? And you didn't want us to be unkempt because then how are we going to take care of your loved one if, if you kind of, you know, subconsciously think that we're unkempt and unclean, then you're going to think we can't do what we need to do. Um, I think people need to be a really good communicator. They need to be a people person. And they need to have a really good work ethic because it's not easy. Like it's a lot of hours and it's a lot of stress. And I do think you need to have a really good outlet for, for managing your stress. I would go say, you know, talk to your local funeral homes and see if you can, you know, attend a couple services with them or kind of, you know, shadow them for a day or two and see if it's really for you. Because like I said, I think there's a lot of misconceptions due to, TVs and movies and, and books that people think it's, it's really not what it is. And it truly is. You're taking care of somebody's loved one. It's the final time. And you got one shot to make it right. And you got one shot to, you know, um, show them the dignity and respect that they deserve in death because they can't speak for themselves. So I just think that that's a big thing. Cause I, I mean, I went to mortuary school with a young man from way up North. He had never seen a dead body ever. And he was in mortuary school. And the first time we had a case to embalm, I mean, I embalmed all summer, but he had never seen a case. And I was like, man, just sit down. You're, you're going to be fine. It's, you know, cause it was a really horrible case that we had that time. And I, I, how did you know you wanted to do this? If you'd never even seen a body and you think you want to in on this and it was awful. So I would just try to expose myself and really get legitimate research. Don't go down the movie, you know, horror movie kind of, kind of rabbit hole and think that's what you're getting into. Wow. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank y'all. I can speak for both of us to say that this made me gain so much more respect. I had no idea all of the work that goes into, obviously, like you said, this is a very, very serious, um, you're dealing with someone's loved ones and it is a service industry. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the profession as a whole deserves a lot more 
respect on its name <laughs> as well. So thank you for sitting with us, clearing up some of the myths sure. that come along with the job and just setting the record straight. This has been an awesome episode. Thank you, Kara. But we're here and I think this was such an eye-opening episode for so many reasons. One, I didn't realize, obviously I knew that being a mortician was emotionally demanding, but also physically and mentally Mm -hmm. as well. I think um, that they have a huge burden on them and they are definitely a service um, industry. So also I really enjoyed the mortician to MUA pipeline that we discussed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. James Charles could never. James. Um, I'm going to pretend like I understand that reference. Oh, right. uh, could James Charles, but yeah, I think she probably knows, obviously she knows how to do makeup mm-hmm. more than I do, but I mean, even just like, kind of what you were saying earlier with the service industry, that being a service is like right. making your loved ones into, because she talked about like really making them into who, not making them into who they are, but um, making them seem normal and that being an important part of the makeup process. Right. But I definitely, when I think of like morticians, I automatically think of that guy alone in the basement underneath for some reason, there's not a lot of light. You know what I think of? I think of the Adams family. Isn't there like yes. um, a character? Morticia? Morticia, yes. Isn't she the mother of the family? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Okay. That's what, so yeah, so maybe it's like the guy that's um, in the basement, but then maybe it's also Morticia is the image that comes And you mind? think of that, like even in the Adams family, the image that comes to mind is obviously like a pale face mm-hmm. kind of spooky kind of different very vampire-esque individual all in black yes right and so that's what i have always thought of when i thought of morticians but then kara was so colorful i know <laughs> i know i kind of want to just listen to all of her stories I know. And she'll just come on the podcast regularly um but just the thing about it being a service industry is i've always thought i could kind of be a mortician because i think I don't know, the, like the science behind it seems really cool, mm-hmm. but I could not have handle having five families, one after the other that you have to deal with and you have to emotionally support. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the major thing that I learned was that it's not just that guy in the basement, it's being with people. It is being an encouragement. It is being a person that they're going to give their grief to. Right. And on top of that, having a bunch of other boxes to check, including... Mm-hmm. Um, two different license licenses, licenses? Mm-hmm. which were the embalming license and then the, I believe it was funeral services mm-hmm. license as as well. So there's a lot of boxes to check, and it's definitely something that we said was super specialized. And I, I really think I've gained so much respect for yes, morticians, but also just specialized fields in general. Mm-hmm. Um. There's a reason that they're very specialized mm-hmm. and um, there's a smaller community sometimes of those fields. 
And I think it is equally important to learn about the big corporate company cultures, Mm -hmm. but also about maybe the smaller family run businesses that have a unique culture of their own. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for this episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as Kara has worked with both like larger, larger funeral services Mm -hmm. places and smaller ones. um, Yeah. I really appreciated her kind of vastness of experience on that. Right. Well, if you like what you heard, feel free to follow us on Instagram at Walton underscore BCL. Listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. I'm going a little bit off script, you guys. But it's 445. It is 445. And I would like to still give a huge shout out to the podcast team. Obviously, Kara, our wonderful guest for this episode. Gracie, my host. Um, I'd also like to give a shout out to Macy and Joaquin, who are the social media team for the podcast. And then, of course, our wonderful editors, Cole and Jackie. Thank you for putting up with all of our blips and blurbs. And honestly, we could have a whole episode of our bloopers. Um, Yeah, it's cringeworthy. I went back and listened to some of them. Not a fan. Yeah. We have definitely had... Maybe we need a PR team next because some of our... um, Flips have been kind of embarrassing, but it's it's okay. Okay, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right, thank you guys. 